right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of Locked On Gators, your daily home for Florida Gators football coverage, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Zach Goodall. You can go throw me a follow on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall, as well as my co-host, Demetrius Harvey. Find him at Demetrius82. Today's episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. And hey, while you're on Twitter, if you're throwing both of us follows, make sure to go and follow at Locked On Gators as well. Subscribe to the show anywhere you can listen to podcasts. You can listen to Locked On Gators. Demetrius, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, and I hope you guys at home enjoyed our coverage last week leading into the Vanderbilt game. Obviously, we're going to get into that a little bit today. Uh, we apologize for not having the Saturday episode as promised. That won't happen again. We just had scheduling conflicts, and it was a really, really difficult situation for us to be in. But we're back this week, and again, apologize for having this episode out a little bit late. We had a little bit of trouble last night. So it is what it is. I hope that you guys enjoy our podcast this week, and I hope that you guys can go ahead and listen. You can listen back, or you can listen to the next day's podcast. You can. You don't even have to listen to every single podcast. You just listen as you go, but... Either way, I hope you guys are enjoying our content and hope that we have gotten better as time has gone on. One way or another, we've got you covered on Florida Gators uh, football. Whether you listen every day or one day a week, no matter what, we try to get you the best info that we can and, and the best info that's out there. And with that, we're going to be getting a little bit back into this Vanderbilt game. Obviously, we're a couple days past it now. But at the same time, you know, there's stuff that we have to pull from this game in terms of what the offense was able to do, what the defense maybe wasn't able to do uh, just all around we want we want to pull from this game and see what it means moving forward because i was saying a week ago like they came out and scored their season high in points without kyle pitts this team can do anything like it's time to stop questioning them and, and here we are we're right back to it after a performance against vanderbilt that they just dan mullen said it himself that you can't afford those if you want to be a great team so we'll talk all about that as well as at the end of the show we're going to go a little bit outside of florida gators football over to Florida State football. Uh, obviously, they've been in the news quite a bit for the postponement of their game with Clemson amid a huge controversy over a player testing positive for COVID. We're going to update you on the latest that that's out there that we know, as well as just offer our analysis as to what's been a whirlwind of news uh, in the ACC just from that game. But we'll start with the Florida Vanderbilt game, Demetrius. Now, let's start a little bit more positively. Although the offense wasn't perfect, it was like last year where they started slow against Vanderbilt. They did end up putting things together. Kyle Trask and Florida still set records. It's just just another week of covering the Florida Gators. They're out here setting records. So what did you see? What did you take away from this game? And maybe if it even is a negative thing, but it's something that you can just be like, hey, you can live with it. You're good. On to the next week. Well, I mean... <laughs> It's probably because of how high they've set their own expectations, how high that everybody has their expectations for the Florida Gators offense. It just didn't look to be that – it didn't look typical. But when you look at the stats, I mean, 26 of 35, 383, and three touchdowns for Kyle Trask, and, that's and, a good day. And four in drops. At least and, four drops. And at least four drops. That's a good day for any quarterback or any program in, in any country, any state, any city, whatever you want to call it, any conference. Because that's an, an impressive. He also passed, or I think he tied for the FBS lead in 
touchdowns thrown through seven games, or at least he he, he might have been second. Either way, it, it, it was just an incredible performance still, but just under the expectations of what we thought coming into this Vanderbilt game. I mean, I, I predicted it, 70-7, to 7, and that wasn't a joke score. I wasn't just trying to be funny. I pr- I legitimately thought that they were going to be able to score the football or score a touchdown ten times on it against Vanderbilt, and it was because of how poor, like what you know, how poorly Vanderbilt has been playing this season. They're in, they're a winless team. You sort of expect the Gators, who are going to go to the SEC title game, to become that team where they just roll over these guys. They 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 mow them down, and and, it, and it's not even close. But you know that's not exactly what we saw, but. It, Again, it's kind of hard to get down in a victory 38-17 to 17 against a SEC team. It's really hard to be down on them. So if there's one positive, I will say that they, they did look consistent after maybe around the first half, first quarter, because it was going into the game, you know, they were tied 10-10 for so long, and then finally Florida was able to score a touchdown to go ahead as they were hitting the halftime. I think that that's kind of when they started to, ca- to catch on, and then the second half, obviously – there was no chance for Vandy really, and I think that they did a great job in, in that respect. It, it just, it just seemed as though you know to begin the game they were a little bit sluggish. Dan talked about it. You know they had a completely different atmosphere. There were only just over a thousand fans in the stadium. They were playing rock and roll as if it was a concert. It was 11 a.m. where they were at in terms of, uh, or it was 11 a.m. in terms of the uh, the time difference. It, it just didn't seem you know, a normal game. And maybe that was because of the preparations. Maybe it was because of the sluggish week of practice. It, it was what it was, but they still got the victory. I think that that's the positive that you can take out of it. Well, I think there, I think there might be another, and we're going to get into the defense in the next segment uh, for the negatives that we saw. But positively, at, at moments, they brought in young guys when, mm. you know, Mullen was upset about that. And he said he wants to see guys rolled through on defense a lot more. And we saw when that did start happening, a guy like Tyron Hopper, your hidden gem, comes in and he plays well. Uh, there, there are you know, some moments as he starts to get more snaps that you want to see cleaned up. That's just going to come with time. And he still came in and he made flashy plays specifically. And we saw after the game, there were some young players that thought that it probably was their time to start getting in because it was relatively a, a, a very disappointing showing, even though they only allowed 17 points, 406 yards. But you do have to look and say, you know, we've seen struggles from the linebacker room all season long. And James Houston was out, and Diabate comes in, and he puts up, I think it was a career high in tackles. It wasn't a perfect game from him, and obviously the unit as a whole could have done better, but you can draw a positive from his performance. Hopper, when he steps into the game, you just see a flashy, speedy defender that you would like to put in there on third downs. So there's there's still some stuff that you can be happy about with the defense, right? There really is. I think that the young players playing more on defense is what's going to get this team going. Obviously, we saw Dexter play a significant number of snaps. And, yes. and you know, Grantham, Grantham did talk about early in the, earlier in, in the week that Dexter is going to be playing more snaps, and his snap count has been going up. Now, we did see that his snap count hadn't gone up, but now it actually did. So, you know, he's getting in in there more. He had a half a sack, a tackle for a loss. I thought that he had an up-and-down game, especially in the start or near the start of the contest because of Vanderbilt's up-tempo offense, but we'll, we'll probably talk about that a little bit more in the next segment. 
but yeah, the, the young players, like you said, Tyron Hopper getting in there, um, it, 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 it was just a, an interesting thing to see because they haven't been rolling players through as they should. You know, we haven't seen these these deep defensive players, especially at the linebacker level, able to really get in there when players are struggling. You know, Ventrell Miller got, went down a couple times. I believe it was a shoulder they were talking about on the broadcast. And it, it, it he having a replacement for him without James Houston, without a couple other guys, it, it's kind of difficult. So they were able to get Diabate in there to get some snaps. They were able to get Hopper in there. I think that that's something that they need to key on moving forward especially even in the secondary. They need to start putting in more freshmen in the secondary. Trevez Johnson, uh, Torrance, they, they, they just have to get these guys in there to see what they can do, especially when players are clearly struggling. And we'll talk a lot about that more when we come back from this quick break. What, what we did see from the defense in a negative perspective and how they can fix these things, we said it all year that they need to, and it's not happened. So you wonder if it's possible at this point, but you got to start somewhere. Do you guys ever feel as though you're always on? Don't you want just a moment to relax and chill? It's been difficult this year, especially with everything going on, social issues, and the expectations to be on 24-7 with families and friends. Sometimes you need a breather, and especially with the Gators this season, it can be stressful. That's why Coors Light is the perfect cold one to open up. Saturdays are a time to chill, watching Florida football and relaxing with Coors Light that's cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged, literally made to chill. I personally love the refreshing taste and makes me chill out, relax a little bit, and enjoy the day. I know one thing, Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind, so when you hit that reset button, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in a new look delivered straight to your door at get.coorslight.com. Celebrate responsibly with Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Make sure to stick with us throughout the rest of the week here at Locked On Gators as we continue to get you ready for Florida's next matchup, this time being against the Kentucky Wildcats. You won't want to miss the rest of our schedule this week. We're going to be doing a lot of previewing, and of course, later in the week, we'll have Jackie Francioli joining us to do a final preview of the game. For now, though, we'll stick with Vanderbilt especially because, you know, Florida's going to have to make some improvements to, you know, Kentucky has been a thorn in Florida's side over the past couple of years, even though Florida was able to win the game with Kyle Trask last year and pull off the comeback. But the year before was the loss, and Kentucky can come in and do things to Florida to make them uncomfortable. And we've not really seen much of their offense this year. At the same time, we know Terry Wilson's a dual threat. And Joey Gatewood's a dual threat. That's just not exactly something that Todd Grantham loves to hear. So, Demetrius, when we look back on this past weekend's performance from the defense, what would you say were the biggest struggles out of the unit? Well, the biggest struggles out of the unit have been the biggest struggles out of the unit the entire season. And I would like to, you know, subtly apologize a little bit to you guys for you know, hyping this defense up a little bit more as we were going through the week last week. I kind of gave kudos to people that maybe don't deserve them anymore, and I apologize for that because the explosive plays remain. They, they're they still there against this Vanderbilt team, starting a freshman quarterback in an up-tempo offense that the Gators should be fine at handling. They gave up nine explosive plays in, in the passing game. That's a total of 216 yards, gains of 15-plus on each play. 
that's not acceptable if you're an SEC championship team, a playoff team, uh, even an SEC defense in general against a winless team. It's just not acceptable. So, you know, you you asked Kyer Elam after the game, Zach, about the slant routes that were given up and how they were playing off. And, and actually, one of his touchdowns that he admits that he gave up because of some communication issues. And the communication issues came from the sideline. You know, Elam said that they were getting the plays in a little bit late. Now, whether that's a testament to the coaching getting the plays in late to the players or the players not seeing the play early enough, we're going to have to figure that out when we talk to Todd Grantham tomorrow on Tuesday. But it, it, it clearly there was a lot of issues with this up-tempo offense, and I think that any team that's going against Florida from here on out needs to play that up-tempo, you know, maybe a no-huddle style offense because they're, they're, they're going to be able to attack them underneath. They're going to be able to hit them over the top because these guys are not going to be prepared, clearly, as they haven't been all season. I think that this is probably one of the worst performances I've seen, at least early, from a defense in this game. And it, it's it's hard to say because they've only they only gave up 17 points. They didn't give up much at, in the second half at all. I think only just a touchdown. But throughout the contest, you could see these plays being made and having a guy who's a freshman coming in and playing probably his best game of his, the best game of his young career in Ken Seals. It's just, it's, it was just, you know, mind blowing to see and, and kind of typical to what we saw in the first few weeks of the season, kind of typical to what we've seen the past couple weeks at times. And I think that this is something that they're going to have to clean up. Yeah. I mean, we saw it even against a measly South Carolina offense where shy Smith, guy that's going to the senior bowl and has had a huge season like all he had to do was run slants Colin Hill not much of a dynamic quarterback but he knew it was there quarterbacks they know it's there and they see it pre-snap because Sean Davis is the only guy hovering the slot because the stars and the linebackers tend to bite on the run you know good of them to keep their eyes on the run but when they're not athletic enough to go drop and make plays they're gonna give up these slants every single time that Davis or Steiner or 12 yards off or even corners because I know that they'll let their outside corners come down and at least like pre-snap look like they're pressing they may not follow through but at least they can get limit the cushion a little bit but quarterbacks identify even the worst quarterbacks will see that cushion and be like okay that's an easy one I can just take that all day and the, these offense will start to go up tempo you mix in the communication errors you mix in like you know Mullen said that they weren't rolling through guys on defense, and that is true in a sense that they weren't doing it well. You know, there would still be times where they're bringing guys in on third downs for different packages, but it's hard to do that and be set up, especially when your communication's not good, when a team is going up-tempo. So there's got to be a different strategy as to how they're going to do that moving forward as well. Right, and it's hard to get these guys rolling in on third downs in certain packages when you give up so much so much yards so much yardage on first and second down if if you're going to roll players through you got to do it eff- effectively you can't just put them in there for one play a, a series or a couple plays a series that's not going to do anything we we haven't seen any dramatic changes on this defense throughout the season except for when obviously Kyrie, Kyrie Campbell came back and then they were able to put players in the position to be successful which I still don't quite understand, but you know it is what it is. You know they, they, they've they've gotten much better as a pass rushing unit. I think that we saw against Vandy, they were doing pretty pretty well. They weren't doing amazingly in the pass rush department because they were able to get the ball out very quickly. But 
it it's it just goes back again to this secondary. You have to be able to get these guys in. You have to be able to get a Rashad Torrance in there. You have to be able to get a Travis Johnson in there. I don't care that these guys are freshmen. We've seen them play already. Like at this point in the season, seven games in, they're not freshmen anymore to me. They they're they're much they're on their way to becoming sophomores and becoming a huge part of this defense regardless. You need to get them in there. You need to get your best players on the field. I understand that Donovan Steiner, and we keep bringing up his name, is a guy that is a veteran player in this defense. But just because you're a veteran player doesn't mean that you're a guy who's going to be able to make plays game in and game out, play in and play out, because it just, we just haven't seen it out of him. Well, it We saw Sean Davis even struggling. Sorry to, sorry to interrupt you, but it goes back to what Dan has said his entire time he's been here about you know competition. He thrives with competition. He loves the idea of a competitive roster. No one, uh, no one's spot is ever supposed to be safe. And it should be. If a guy comes in and is trying and is outplaying you in camp, even if it's Kyle Trask getting outplayed by Emory Jones, like Dan is on record saying Emory Jones would be like, well, he's not on record specifically saying Emory Jones, but in that specific instance, the guy comes in, even if it's Emory taking the job from Kyle, he outperforms him. He's getting, and We've seen young guys outperform these veterans. And maybe, especially because Mullen said that Grantham and the defensive staff weren't rolling guys through like that, maybe it's almost a little bit of a butting of the heads because they might have different philosophies. But this is something that Mullen clearly does prioritize, at least to get guys rolled through. He is disappointed seemingly by the performance of his veterans and wants to see different players on the field to build depth, keep guys fresh, Maybe maybe that is all it will take, just a, a refined rolling through system, for well, lack of a better term. Well, well, it, it makes sense that Dan doesn't have his hand heavy in the defensive playbook because, you know, he's an offensive coach. He's basically the offensive coordinator of the team. I know Brian Johnson is officially the offensive coordinator, but, I mean, it's Dan Mullen's system. It's Dan Mullen's play calling of it, like, for the most part. So he's more hands-heavy, hands-on on the offensive side of the football and obviously that means that Todd Grantham is the, you know, basically the head coach of the defense, if you will. You know, he's the guy who's going to be making all the calls. He's the guy who's going to be telling his position coaches what to do, when to roll players through. So this kind of falls on him as a defensive coordinator. And I I saw the tweets. I saw the jokes. You know, I know that Todd Grantham said that you guys have, you know, maybe a five out of ten on the level of intelligence in terms of knowing how an offense or how a defense, excuse me, uh, runs and, and what to expect and all of those things. And I, I saw the jokes about zeros for him. It, I mean, it, it, it just goes back to show what kind of system are you running in terms of putting your best players on the field in order to be successful. If you're not putting your players in a position to succeed, they're not going to. And we saw exactly what we could have seen against Arkansas, against Georgia, against all of these teams that you know the Gators eventually did win against what's going on and why can't you start out faster? Why can't you get these play calls in? You're seven games into the season. It's just unacceptable. Yeah, I'm completely with you. And, and, you know, maybe I'm being optimistic and thinking that a new rolling through system or one day maybe Grantham deciding to permanently put the guys that shouldn't be playing on the bench will fix things, but maybe it just won't. Well, it, I guess they'll be tested when it comes to the SEC championship if it's there. It's going to just depend on the offense matching scores and getting lucky once or twice along the way uh, at, at this point. That's just what it seems like. 
when we come back, we're going to be moving forward to Florida State versus Clemson. The whole pandemonium that's going on over there. We've got new comments from Clemson's uh, athletic director. So with that being said, there's a lot to pull from there. You know, I've been trying to get back in the gym recently, but I just couldn't figure out what to do after. Sure, I can just make a protein shake, but that's annoying. It doesn't always taste good and it can be time consuming. That's why I've started to eat Build Bars right after my workout. Not only do they taste amazing, but they are incredibly healthy with 19 grams of protein in the peanut butter flavor. I can't go wrong. Now, I'm not a keto guy myself, but it's a low-calorie, low-sugar profile that makes it easier for any of you out there that are. Right now, you can go to BuildBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get 20% off your next order. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for 20% off at BuildBar.com. So, by now, I'm sure everyone's heard Florida State and Clemson were not able to play this weekend, as Clemson, there's a lot of different things to this story. A lot of different reports coming out, but it's as simple as this. Clemson traveled with a player who has COVID. He was on the team playing. He got to Tallahassee on Saturday morning with the team. So, of course, you know, the two, the medical groups for each school couldn't come to an agreement on if it was safe to play. Florida State's never, how could Florida State allow their athletes and coaches, especially when they've dealt with COVID on their own? Mike Norvell specifically has dealt with it. How would they be cool with allowing that game to happen? And and, and sure, maybe they should be flexible in terms of if the game does end up getting played because Clemson is a potential playoff team. Now, I don't know how much a win over Florida State will help, but just in a year where they want to get their games, and I understand the wanting of playing the game. But then for Dabo Sweeney to to come out and say that – COVID was just an excuse to postpone the game, but he didn't actually view it as a valid reason for it. It's just, it's so disappointing to see the leader of college students, people's children, they're still young. They might be young adults at this point, but they are still children. And like, this is their leader. This is, and, and their AD Dan, uh, and sorry, my pronunciation, as people know, isn't the greatest, but Radakovich came out and he said on the radio this morning that Dabo is the player's biggest advocate, and he should be. But his comments, while maybe a little disheartening for some, were to some, really were his feelings. You, you can't let your feelings get the best of you like that. It, it got the best of Dan Mullen at one point when he talked about packing the swamp after the Texas A&M thing. Those are things he shouldn't have said. But my goodness, Dan Dan was not blatant like this. This is just, in my opinion, purely my opinion, gross. Yeah. No, this is more of the same from Dabo Sweeney, who's been said, who said on record countless times on, on just, just disgusting comments and, and comments that you wouldn't expect a college football coach to make. Or actually, maybe you would expect a college football coach to make, but that's neither here nor there. You know, his comments recently were just completely garbage, in my opinion. And I'll just say that as my opinion, you know, I don't care. You guys might have a different opinion on what he's talking about, but he said, I'm cr- incredibly disappointed in the decision to not play, we had one guy test positive on Friday and they canceled the game even though we followed all of our protocols. The standard to cancel a game was not met. A guy testing positive Friday does not cancel a game. I was on every committee 
meeting since March, and that was never the case. Still fired up, he says, COVID was just an excuse to cancel the game. So, essentially, he's saying that this disease and this virus that these kids have been subjected to by playing this football season, which they are not paid, are should not should not prevent them from potentially playing and exposing themselves to this virus. If Florida State doesn't feel comfortable, which Florida State has been one of the best schools in the country, best football programs in the country in preventing a spread of COVID, if they don't feel comfortable in playing with a, a guy who has tested positive, has traveled with the team while testing positive, then that's up to them, and that's up to their medical board. I actually trust their medical board in terms of this, and and why and why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you take all of the precautions you can to po- postpone this game? I understand that Clemson, there's some weird record thing where if Clemson doesn't, or if, if Miami wins out and Clemson doesn't get to play the game against FSU, then I think Miami, just because of the ACC record, they'll go to the championship game instead of Clemson. And all of that's fair. There's a lot of there's a lot of different circumstances football-wise as to why the Clemson Tigers would want to play this game. But to act as though, and I've seen this narrative posted several times, and I'm actually getting really frustrated to hear this, to act as though Florida State, who has lost to Georgia Tech, has lost to uh, uh, other teams that are just not on the same level of Clemson, would be afraid to play Clemson, to, to suggest that that would be the reason why they wanted to delay or forfeit or postpone the game. It's just outright disgusting. And I feel as though Dabo has been spreading into that or putting more credence to that by his comments made yesterday. And I'm I'm 100% confident he's not going to back off of his, his comments. He says that if FSU wants to play the game, they either need to reimburse Clemson for the trip or come to Clemson. So essentially, he's making it almost impossible for this game to be actually played. Now, I know that that's not going to ultimately be up to Dabo, but it's just it just goes to show how ridiculous that this can be when a coach comes out and just suggests that, you know, yeah, we had a guy playing or tested positive on Friday, but guess what? We can still play because, you know, he had these symptoms or didn't have these symptoms on this day. We followed all of our protocols. If, if Florida State's health officials say that they don't want to play this game or shouldn't play this game, then that should just be that. Everybody should go home understanding that this is an incredibly difficult situation in a situation that they signed up for. Yeah, this is called football during a pandemic. People wanted this. Live with the consequences. Like, this is this is not the end of the world. The, the end of the world will be when the wrong player who isn't totally healthy gets it and there's a legitimate issue. Now, we don't hear about that. Maybe nothing's happening. and Maybe that's great. But we've seen schools stay so private, that lack of transparency. They just release testing numbers, but you don't even get a real feel exactly for what the amount of positives are at a given time. They stack the data. Now, granted, this isn't every school. This is what we're used to covering, but this is something that we do see across college football. There's just not much transparency. So maybe we will never know that kids have been hospitalized. Like right. there's a very good chance that that is happening and just not getting out there because of the privacy of the students. And, right. and, and, and that's well, just what makes this so much more gross at this point is that Dabo turns it into, a, like you said, Florida State's scared to play us and they should be like giving us money because they've, met, they've effed us over. Sorry for, right, but- sorry for going to that length, but like that's just – that's all Dabo cares about. He doesn't care about the. Like, did he say anything about the health of this particular student athlete? 
not that I saw, but I, I would have to go through the entire transcript. But just just not to cut you off, but because we were talking about players who have potentially been hospitalized, obviously we haven't seen it much on the college level, and we probably won't because of the privacy of the kids. But we've seen the reports come out. You know, I cover the Jacksonville Jaguars. Raquel Armstead has not played or practiced or done anything this entire season because, you know, he was on the COVID list twice. He actually came off of it at one point during the offseason and then went back on. It's been reported that he's been hospitalized. He's been hospitalized, and he can't – I don't know if he's still in the hospital. I don't think he is. But just in terms of the level of effect that this had on a player in the NFL, at the NFL level, in a, he's a young guy. He He's only his second year in, in, into the NFL, and he was hospitalized and, and, and has not been able to play and probably indefinitely won't play the, this season anymore. Who knows what his future holds? But these are the type of consequences that you're dealing with in terms of this this virus and this disease that ultimately can come with it. You can't take risk. You can't. We've seen this with Florida. Just to bring it back with Florida, they did not. After they figured out that there were so many positives, they shut down. They said, you know, we have to shut down. This is what it is. We can't practice anymore. We're quarantining. And they did right by the team after all of the tests came back positive. They they didn't say, oh, now we can't play. We're, we're, we're losing competition. They rescheduled their games. And we've seen outbreaks happen. These happen a couple days after players have already been in contact with other players. It, it It's actually ironic because Florida's consequences came after a player or two supposedly tested positive, but they had traveled with the team prior to testing positive. So this guy test positive, he's traveling with the team, who knows what's the outcome, and, and we've talked about this before, but 2 to 14 days is the incubation period. We have yet to see if this guy who has tested positive has already infected other players. This, it, it could have been. And so this is the, these are the, the extents that players and programs need to take. They need to, they need to take these efforts in order to prevent these spreads, and I think that that's what Florida State was doing. They're not just scared to play. It's just they are rightfully scared of the virus. Yeah, right. That's the only, that's the only thing they're scared of. Just like Dabo should be, just like other people should be. I mean, people hate the it idea of fear mongering, but like this is a scary virus that's not under control and is now like raging through programs of college athletes. For some listeners of this show, there is a chance that. There is a COVID going through your student's athletic program. Like, it's just, that's that's the truth. That's the it truth. Is. And the biggest concern is a team possibly screwing you out of a playoff spot. I get why it's, I get why that's a concern of its own, but that should not be your priority right now. And Exactly. And I think that, uh, we, you know, we, we beat this segment to death, but I, I think it is important to talk about this because, you know, Florida obviously has had its own issues with COVID this season just to see the difference in, in response from, you know, a Dabo Sweeney and a Dan Mullen. I will give kudos to Dan Mullen in this situation. I, and like Zach said, Dan would never go to these links and, and talk talk this way in terms of the virus. I think that he does take it very seriously once it actually occurs. Um, he's had his moments of saying stuff like pack the swamp, but I, I just can't for the life of me see him saying that, a team is afraid to play Florida, and that's why they had to cancel the game or postpone the game. I, if this had happened with Vanderbilt this week, and, and they 
were afraid because Florida came with one player who tested positive, especially knowing Florida's history with the outbreak. I don't think that Dan would have had an issue with Vanderbilt canceling the game on, I think the first on Saturday. Thing, I think the first thing Dan would have said is extend his prayers to every person yep. that has it. Because, I mean, happened with Sam Pittman. Right yep. off the gate of that press conference, he just said, hey, we, I just got this news about Sam Pittman. I'm extending my best wishes, and we'll see where we go from here. Yep. Not, a, not like what we've seen this past weekend. It's it, It's been a whirlwind. But like you said, I think we've beaten it to death, and I'm sure some people don't agree with us on this. So, But this is just, that's this fine. just, this is just how it is. Anyway, that should just about do it for us here at Locked On Gators. Of course, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and listen to anywhere Anywhere you can listen to podcasts, you can listen to Locked On Gators. Make sure to throw me a follow on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall, as well as my co-host Demetrius Harvey at Demetrius82. Most importantly, follow at Locked On Gators. You'll never miss an episode. We'll catch up with you guys next time.